Good morning. It's it's good when uh, God kind of uh, confirms uh, what he wants you to speak on. I was struggling with uh, three different messages, and uh, I didn't think you'd want to hear them all this morning. <laughs> and so I picked, I picked one, and God kind of confirmed that it was the right one. And I'm thankful to him for that. And uh, as uh, just before we pray and get into the message, I want to direct your attention to First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to base my remarks on verses 13 to down to 23. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him... You believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, with the living and enduring Word of God. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> and Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the fact that you reveal yourself in such amazing ways in your world, word. And you give us the spirit to help us understand these truths. And Lord, I pray that you'll guide us by your spirit into understanding the truths that you want us to hear and grasp and live out as we go from here today. And so we we commit this time to you, Lord, minister to every heart in your own unique way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Purity in the midst of pollution. Now, pollution is a sordid element of our society. Billions of dollars are being spent to clear up water, air, and land. <clears throat> Laws continue to be made, setting stringent requirements about 
these resources and other things like no noise and forests. Now, formal recognition started in earnest back in 19, the 1900s and in the year 2000. In 1969, the U.S. passed the Environmental Policy Act requiring each federal agency to consider the impact of any large developments on the nation's natural resources. Canada and other countries have passed similar laws. In 1970, the Clean Air Act set a five-year cleanup period. Now, since then, more stringent requirements have been enacted. In 1972, the Clean Water Act was enacted to facilitate wiping out water pollution from coast to coast. By 1985, acts to effect reduction of pollution of noise and preservation of forests have also been enacted. Back when we were still in Ontario, before we moved out west, I remember Toronto was negotiating with the state of Michigan to ship their garbage there because <laughs> they were running out of room, uh, they thought, around Toronto. And it wasn't that long ago there was a, a, uh, a complaint from the Philippines and they started loading a boat to ship back some of the trash that had been sent there. Now, some success has been achieved, but it seems elimination of pollution of these things, these resources, is but a pipe dream in the hands of humankind, despite the, the presence and the acts of watchdog groups and politicians. Far more serious in our culture is the pollution of sin, of godlessness, and humanism. These are things as we as God's people need to deal with in our lives lest we involve ourselves in such pollution. We need to be cautious in watching TV and movies, searching and absorbing social media information, reading books and magazines, listening to talk and reality shows, as these are full of the world's philosophy on life. Now, we are to be respectful of, of the God-given authorities in our governments, but we also need to be discerning of the laws they have and are introducing that are contrary to God's truth principles for life in his world, word, and are thus contributing to spiritual pollution in our country and society. Now, as we look at this chapter, Peter, of course, was talking to people who are suffering. And in verses 3 to 9, before the passage we read, Peter encourages believers facing and suffering from persecution to walk in hope. Their hope in the resurrected Christ, a living, eternal hope, Reserved, kept in heaven for them, that became a reality for them as they embraced the salvation affected by their faith in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. That Savior 
who died on the cross bearing the penalty of their sin and rose from the grave in victory over sin and Satan and death. And Peter begins with, therefore, in verse 13. That is, in light of that hope in Christ, and his message to us is walk in holiness. You see, hope and holiness go together. First Peter chapter, or First John chapter three, reveals that how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that, on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then this verse, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope in Christ is something that is sure that is based on the promises of God. Now the word for holy means different, set apart, like God. He is different from all his creation, set apart. There is none other like him. And a holy person is not odd, <laughs> but different. The old King James used to call us peculiar people. and A lot of people in the world probably think that. But that word, when you look at the original, doesn't mean weird, but special. It's chosen. It takes you beyond just being. The lifestyle of a holy person is not just different from when he or she was unholy, but it's a lifestyle with a different quality and purpose and characteristics from that of the unbelievers around. 1 Peter 4, 4, indicates that such a lifestyle may seem unacceptable to the lost, but it shouldn't to other believers. You've, you've heard stories of believers, people who have come to know the Lord from a, a non-Christian family, and and their their family or their friends say, what, are you, you, you goody-goody now? You're too good for us? to carry on with the things we used to do together and enjoy. Well, that's what John Peter speaks of in 1 Peter 4.4. 4. Here's how he says it. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation they heap abuse on you. Sadly, so much of the world's pollution has infiltrated the lives of some believers, that their lives are no different from when they were lost. Some believers scoff at those who endeavor a holy life, saying they're fanatics and turning off unbelievers from coming to the Lord. Say, how are we going to reach these people unless we talk like them and go to the places they go to and do the things that they do? How are we going to reach them? Well, the thing is, we're supposed to show a difference, not be like them. And it's not easy to maintain 
a wholly different walk in this world. The anti-God atmosphere around us called the world by God and Scripture is always pressing against us, trying to force us to conform. And in this passage, Peter presents us with five spiritual incentives for maintaining a different lifestyle, a holy walk in a polluted world. In verse 13, he talks about the promises of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-control, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, God never breaks his promises. His promise to every true believer is the return of Jesus Christ to take us into his presence for eternity. That's a living hope, not a hope so as the world would have us believe, but a sure reality we can trust in and depend on. You see, we live, in a sense, in the future tense. Our present actions and decisions are governed by our future hope. Kind of like an engaged couple who make all their plans in light of their future wedding and life together. So Christians live with the expectation of seeing Jesus. John wrote this to the little children as he refers to them in, in 1 John 2.28, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now, note three characteristics of this mindset as Paul shows it here. First of all, this mindset is of a prepared, a disciplined mind. Some people think once you become a Christian, you throw your mind out and you just, just follow rules and do what God says without thinking about it. But even in salvation... God says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. <clears throat> so having, living a holy walk, having a, a mindset that's based on the promises of God involves a prepared, a disciplined mind. Different versions of the scripture called as girding up the loins of your mind. or preparing your mind for action, pulling your thoughts together, having a disciplined mind. And the image here is that of a robed man, which was the kind of garb they wore back in those days, tucking up his skirts under his belt to be free to run. <clears throat> We, we just watched the running, running of the 100-yard dash the other day. And imagine them trying to run that 100-yard dash with a long robe down to their ankles. Uh, it just wouldn't work, would it? Hebrews 12 says, Seeing we also are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin 
that so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are to throw off those old things of the world and focus on Jesus Christ. And when we center our thoughts on Christ and his return and live accordingly, we may escape the worldly things that would encumber our minds and hinder our spiritual progress. Peter talks about that in chapter 1 of his second epistle. When we live centered in Christ, we bring glory to God. And that's our chief purpose for living. When we seek to glorify God, we have greater motivation for present obedience than one who ignores the Lord's return. You see that in the contrast, the lives of Abraham and Lot. Abraham had eyes of faith looking for a heavenly city and had little interest in the world's real estate. Lot had probably enjoyed the pleasures of the world in Egypt when he accompanied Abraham in there and gradually moved toward Sodom. Abraham brought blessing to his home. And Lot, even though he's described later on by Peter as a righteous man, he brought judgment on his home. You see, the outlook between Abraham and Lot determined the outcome that they experienced. Where's your outlook today? In heaven? Or on earth. Someone has said outlook determines outcome and attitude determines action. Secondly, it's a self-controlled mind. The word translated in the old King James is a sober mind. And that means, the word really means to be calm, steady, controlled, to weigh matters. Some people focus on prophetic studies and other issues, and I said that word advisedly in the scripture, and lose their spiritual balance. <clears throat> Christ's coming should encourage us to be calm and collected and clear-minded. That's what he says over in verse 7 of chapter 4, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The fact that Satan is on the prowl should, prowl should also encourage us to be self-controlled and alert to his wiles. And the life of one whose mind becomes undisciplined and falls away reflects an improper focus on Christ's return, on his living hope. And then, this is a mind that's optimistic. You set your mind fully on the living hope. This is a hopeful outlook. One believer sent an encouragement to a friend, said when the outlook is gloomy, try the uplook. That's good advice. Remember, it has to be dark for stars to appear. The result of this spiritual mindset, says Peter, is that a believer sets his hope fully on the grace to be given When Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm just kind of working through a book that John Piper wrote. <clears throat> entitled The Purifying Power of Living 
by faith in future grace. A grace that is looked forward to by hope based on God's promises. A grace that is lived by faith. And we will look for sure. We will know for sure. We will be optimistic and know our optimism is right when we see Christ. But we can now be optimistic, even as we await his return. We have been saved by God's grace and depend on it continually. Looking for Christ's return strengthens our faith and hope in difficult days, and this imparts to us more of God's grace. And as we live by God's grace, an expectation of Christ's return, God is glorified in our lives. Incidentally, one of the options of the three messages that I was considered was grace for another time. Secondly, there's the promises of God first. Secondly, there's the holiness of God. As the men sent us, there's a simple logical argument here. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you as holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. The simple logical argument is this. Children inherit the nature of their parents. <laughs> I used to get the remark, a number of years ago from some of the people, boy, you're looking more and more like your dad every day. And I said, well, surprise, surprise. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> God is holy. Therefore, as his children, we should live holy lives. Second Peter 1.4 says, well, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then verse 4, through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We may participate in the divine nature of holy God. Our lives should reveal that nature in godly living. Peter reminds his, leader, his readers where and what they had been before trusting in Christ. They were children of disobedience. Now there were to be obedient children through salvation. You see, results in obedience to our Father. Imitators of the world. They were previously conforming to the standards and pleasures, the evil desires of the world. And unsaved people say they want to be free and different, but they imitate one another too, don't they? <laughs> they were ignorantly indulgent. Unbelievers lack spiritual intelligence that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Thus they give themselves to all kinds of fleshly and worldly indulgences. 
And Paul continually talks about those three things throughout his epistles, and Peter as well. And since they, we, are bo were born with a sin nature, it's just natural to have sinful eyes. Nature determines attitudes and actions. Somebody said a dog and a cat behave differently because they have different appetites and bends. I don't know about that. I've never been a dog or a cat. But in any event, by God's grace, when we respond to God's call, he gives us a new nature. He gives us Christ's nature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But God's gracious call of sinners to become saints involves responsibility, not just privilege. He has chosen us in Christ to be blameless and holy in his sight. God has called us to himself, and he is holy, therefore we should be holy. And of course, that is quoted from Leviticus 11, chapter 44, or verses 44 and 45. See, God's holiness is an essential part of his nature. It, in a sense, he defines holiness, just like he defines love, just like he defines righteousness. <laughs> Any holiness we have in character and conduct, we must derive from him. There's a word called sanctify that means to be set apart for God's exclusive use and pleasure. It means to be set apart from anything unclean and be completely devoted to God. Paul told the Corinthians, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father to you. And you should be my sons and daughters, said the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean, say, we isolate ourselves from the world. We can't do that and share the gospel with them, can we? It means we have to be in contact, but without allowing them to contaminate us. Everything we are and do would then reflect the holiness of God. And that means there's no sacred or secular elements to a dedicated believer. All of life is holy as we live to glorify God, even ordinary basic activities, as Paul says, like eating and drinking in 1 Corinthians 10. And so I guess we need to ask ourselves, are there secular areas in our lives that we need to erase that are separate from living that holy life in God. Then there's the word of God, verse 16 says it is written be holy because I am holy. It is written, carries great authority for us as believers. Jesus, of course, used the word of God to resist Satan successfully, and so may we. 
But the word is not only a sword in warfare, it's a light to guard, guide in this dark world. And it's uh, water that washes us. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. In John 15 and 3, Jesus said, Now you're clean through the words that I have spoken to you. The truth of the word sanctifies dedicated believers' lives. The world reveals God's mind so that we should learn it. The word reveals God's heart so we should love it. Word reveals God's will so we should live it. Our whole being, mind, will, and heart should be controlled by God's word. And Peter quoted from Leviticus these words and his desire for his people. We who are his church, it hasn't changed from back in the time of Leviticus. Those who delight in God's word, meditate on it, and seek to obey it will experience God's direction and blessing. And step one in living a holy life in an unholy word is to ask, what does God say in his word to me? You can't live a holy life apart from the truth of God's word. Verse 17 speaks then of the judgment of God. As strangers and sojourners here, our life is simply too short to waste in disobedience and sin. Peter talks about that in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4. God is holy and can't abide sin, particularly in the life of his children who are to reflect his holy name, his holy nature, his holiness. Believers must be serious about sin and holy living since God will not compromise with sin. If you haven't got that from reading the Bible, you haven't been reading the same Bible I have. He is merciful and forgiving, but a loving disciplinarian who can't permit his children to enjoy sin. And Hebrews 12 tells us that God's discipline of us affirms his love for us. He wants us to experience his best for us. Nothing less. The judgment here is not about salvation. You see, by faith in Christ, the condemnation for our sins is completely looked after, as Romans 8.1 tells us. This refers to the believer's work. For we must all, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in his body, whether good or bad. Salvation ought to produce good works, not just a, a sitting aside waiting for the day when God takes us to heaven. There's a responsibility that comes with it, and God will hold us accountable to produce good works and fruit that remains. 
And God's many gifts and privileges to us, none include the privilege of sin. You're assured we believers will be called to account before Jesus Christ. Anything in your life that needs to be corrected before that day? We have the opportunity every day to keep short accounts with God and to confess our sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because remember, as a believer, <laughs> we already have a set day in court. Finally, 18, verses 18 to 21 speaks of the love of God. Some would say this is the highest motive for pure or holy living. Peter reminded believers of their salvation experience. They were slaves who needed to be set free. <clears throat> Redeemed, meaning bought back, set free by paying a price. But it had a special meaning for the Roman Empire residents, where there were likely, and I don't know how accurate this figure is, but some have suggested 60 million slaves. Many slaves became Christians and worshipped in local assemblies. One could purchase freedom if he had sufficient funds. <laughs> A little book of Philemon kind of talks about that, doesn't it? About a slave becoming a Christian, that is. Or a master could sell him to someone who could pay the price and set him free. Redemption was precious to slaves then as it is to us today. Since by Christ's redeeming love, he freed us from sin's slavery. Our life was also empty. People then thought their lives were full and happy when they were empty and miserable, just like today with so many people. Peter also reminded them of what Christ did in shedding his precious blood to purchase them and us, out of the slavery of sin, and set us free forever. Money could be paid to set a slave free then, but no amount of money can set a lost sinner free. Only the blood of Jesus can redeem us. Peter reminds us here that doctrine of substitution, an innocent victory, victim giving his life for the guilty, that's what Christ did for us according to God's predetermined will and plan. Now, you think those who walk in hope and holiness would be able to walk in harmony, <laughs> but it's not always the case. With the love of God as major incentive for holy living, it naturally follows. Peter says we are to love each other sincerely and deeply from the heart. Verse 22 both biblical words for love are used here, that Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, and agape, which is God-like sacrificial giving love. Only people share both kinds of love. Brotherly love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and share likenesses, agape love because we belong to God who is love. Thus we can overlook Differences among us, just as God overlooked our sinfulness. 
Well, they didn't really. He had Christ pay the price for it. But through, because of what Christ did, he looks beyond our sinfulness as opposed to his holiness and righteousness. Because we're selfish by nature, took a miracle of God by sending Christ to die for us, to give us his love. And our purification is by obeying the truth who through the Spirit of God purified our souls and poured his love into our hearts. Love of each other evidences that we are born of God. And now as obedient children, we are no longer conformed to the formal evil desires of our old life. Christian love is not a feeling, but an exercise of the will. We show love to others when we treat them the way God treats us. God forgives us, so we forgive others. God is merciful, so we show mercy to others. God imparts his grace to us, so we impart grace to others. God comforts us, so we comfort others. Not by feelings, but by willingly and constantly working at it. We have two assistants, of course, to help us. We can't do it on our own. There's God's word, and there's God's spirit. The same truth we trusted and obeyed to become God's children nurtures and empowers us. The spirit of God produces the fruit of the spirit in us. And you know in Galatians 5 that it starts with love at the top of the list. If we are filled with God's word, and God's spirit, we will testify to the love of God in our daily lives. So God calls us to himself, to a holy walk. So we more may portray his holiness in an unholy world. His purity in the midst of pollution. Evidences of that holiness, that purity are an outlook based on the sure return of Christ. A self-controlled, optimistic mindset, a lifestyle fashioned after the truth of God's world, not the pattern of the world. A life that unequivocally holds the word of God as the final and only authority. A life of one who doesn't compromise but sin but treats God with respect. And a life of one who responds to God's love for us by loving him and others with pure and fervent love from the heart based on a willingness to glorify God. May the words of the old hymn, Take Time to Be Holy, characterize our lives this coming week, and the rest of our days until Christ returns for us.